Three of you are. Okay, I think it's more than that. Anybody saved? Anybody's life been changed? I was in a hospital room this week with my friend Larry as he was there for some heart issues. And I said, Larry, how are you? He said, Brady, he said, uh, you know, in, in this life, you're, you're dealt a deck of cards. And most of them, many of them are beautiful. But every now and then one of them turns up that you just don't like. He said, I'm not going to let the card that turned up that I don't like get me to be forgetful of all the beautiful things around me. I thought, well, Larry, I came to minister to you, but now you're ministering to my heart. Friend, there's somebody here today that it's your choice to choose to praise him that's going to bring encouragement to your heart. Don't wait till you're encouraged to praise the Lord. You praise the Lord, and he's going to bring encouragement to your heart. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll be there in, in just a minute. John chapter 8. We've been in this series entitled, I Am, looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And it's been important to me as I've been thinking of Jesus' question that he asks every disciple, who do you say that I am? We don't have to just invent these answers to this question. He tells us. He gives us the answer to the test. He says, this is who I am. Can you claim it? Can you say it back to me? Can you live out my identity? And so as we look at these statements, they they have meaning to us, but sometimes we don't really recognize what is standing in front of us, or we don't appreciate it. I was thinking about uh, the the words of a a Christian comedian I heard a number of years back who was talking about his relationship with his daughter and the different stages that it went through. And when his daughter was in preschool age and he would walk her to school and and, uh, he noticed that she would grab his hand tightly and she would put her chest out and she would just walk and every friend that she would see she'd say this is my dad you know when you're young your dad can do anything he's superman he, he can fix anything that's broken he's he's the best dad on the block and and there was an excitement there but as he reflected on the years that had gone by as she got older he noticed that as they went into upper middle school there was a little bit different response or upper elementary school, a little bit different response. And as the daughter would hold the dad's hand, it wasn't quite as tight. And, and she kind of shielded her eyes a little bit. And she said, this is, this is my dad here. As embarrassment would creep in. And then full on middle school days, as he would walk, the daughter no longer held her dad's hand. And, and she would kind of go ahead and she'd look back and say, whose dad is that? In embarrassment. And then at high school, there was a walking side by side, and then now the blessed thing of the rolling of the eyes of, oh, Father. But it's amazing, something that takes place when a child reaches the stage, and now they're an adult of themselves, and all of a sudden, mom or dad, who, who seemed to do everything right, and then couldn't do anything right, and didn't know anything, now becomes very wise. I remember when, when I was in my 20s, my dad seemed to know everything that when I was in my teenage years, I figured he didn't know anything. My dad hadn't changed, but my perspective had changed. And if that is true in our own earthly relationships, how much more devastatingly true is it with Jesus? We can walk with Jesus, we can have some kind of relationship with Jesus, and we may have different stages where we're drawing close to him, or we're not so sure, or doubts overcome us. But friend, it doesn't change the fact that he is who he said he is. And if we can embrace who He is, no matter what we're feeling, we can see how good it is to be with Him. Let's look at John chapter 8, 
Our text will be verse 12 through 20 today. Our key verse is verse 12. I'll read it aloud. You read along in your Bible or your device with me silently. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me, verse 17, in your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because the time had not yet come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and ask that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together and weave them into something that is pleasing to you. Jesus, we don't want to just get a new spiritual factoid or trivial pursuit answer of the Bible. Lord, we want to have an encounter with you and to be fed by you today from your word. So Lord, would you not only open our hearts and minds to hear you, but would you give us boldness to walk in obedience to what it is that you say? In your name I ask these things, Jesus. Amen. Now, this morning, uh, this message is a little bit more of a teaching message than preaching message, and, and let me paint a picture of where we're going. We're going to look at this passage we just read together, and we're going to land on an aha moment. But before we get to the aha moment, we're going to to paint a backdrop of where we find this context. That's going to be important for us. And so I want you to hang with me, and we're going to begin to see how this is important in our life and why we should even care about Jesus' claim of being the light of the world. Uh, Last week, we talked about Jesus being the bread of life, and you got bread there in your hands, and some of you still have that bread with you. You put it on a windowsill. Others, you ate it already. Some, you threw it away. Uh, This week, as we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, I thought about giving matches out to you, but uh, after last week, I thought, well, you're going to play with the matches, and that can't be good, so we decided not to do that. But as we press into Jesus being the light of the world, I want to start by looking at some of this background that surrounds what Jesus was saying. Looking at this claim that Jesus had that he's the light of the world, this context is going to be helpful for us. If we go back to chapter 7, we'll discover that this context was near the conclusion of what was called the Feast or the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles uh, was one of several feasts that the Jews celebrated during their annual year of, of celebration. It was held in the fall of the year, just after the harvest, and it was a time when they would build little huts outside their house, little tents outside their house, and they would sleep in them for seven days as they would remember what their ancestors went through as they were in the wilderness. And it was kind of this object lesson tradition that they would would do that. 
And, and this would have brought some things to their mind. It not only reminded them of that moment when they were in the wilderness, but it also brought to their mind definitely some things about God and His desire to dwell among them, among His people. Exodus twenty nine forty six says, They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that they might dwell, so that I might dwell among them. I am their Lord, their God. And this would have brought back in their mind. And so what we're doing is we're beginning to see, okay, who are the people who heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world? And in what context did these original hearers hear this? And in what had been going on? Because there's all kinds of amazing things that weave together, a beautiful tapestry that, that set the table for this amazing feast of what Jesus claims about himself. But we won't get it if we don't continue to look at this. And so some of it has to do with this Feast of Tabernacles I just talked about. They were already in the mindset of thinking about God who was with them in the wilderness. Now, interestingly enough, the dwelling of God with his people in the wilderness was in the form of light as well. Exodus 13, 21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Now, part of this festival of tabernacles was that there was all different kinds of sacrifices that would be brought, and when they would bring them to the temple courts, they also would light these candle abras there in the temple courts. This flame that was lit, it pictured the light of God as they were remembering what had taken place in the wilderness, but it also pictured the presence of God, the presence that God the Father had with them in the wilderness. Not only did they look back as they would light these in the temple courts, they also would look forward to the light that was prophesied that the Messiah would bring to the temple. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9, uh, verse 2 of the book of Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, it's in this same court that these lights were lit during the Feast of Tabernacles. Also in the same court that Simeon, many years earlier, was there to receive baby Jesus. When Mary and Joseph came and brought baby Jesus to Simeon, he, he held Simeon held Jesus in his arms and, and said these amazing, incredible statements about Jesus in the temple court. He said Jesus was a light for revelation. And there was all kinds of connections about Jesus in the temple courts and, and light and, and God the Father being present with his people with light. And so it was also in the same temple courts that Mary and Joseph found Jesus interacting with the teachers and leaders in Israel when they came to Jerusalem for Passover. They came, they had their celebration, they were done celebrating, and so they were leaving with a large group of people. Joseph was sure that Mary had Jesus. Mary was sure that Joseph had Jesus. And they got on their way, and they looked at each other and said, where's Jesus? They left him at the temple. And so they rushed back to Jerusalem. They went to the temple and they find Jesus there having conversation with the teachers and the leaders. And, and he said, hey, don't you know I'd be about my father's business? All of this is taking place in the temple courts. It's the backdrop for the verse that we're going to be reading today. There's so much significance of where and when Jesus says what he says. It was when Jesus as a boy was there that we read Luke 2:47. It says, everyone who heard him, meaning Jesus as a boy, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, it was in the same court that Jesus made this claim of being 
the light of the world. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that they also were amazed by what Jesus not only did as a boy many years ago, but was doing now. The people were saying in John chapter 7, verse 15, just before our text today, how did this man get so much learning? His popularity was growing because of his teaching. Jesus was becoming such a threat to the Jewish leaders that they began to plot against him. They began to question him. And we see in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, the tensions rising with the Pharisees. They had had it. They wanted to get rid of him. But as our text says, they could not do anything because the Lord did not allow it yet. It was not the right time. So this is the background. This is the backdrop in which we find this text today. And this morning, I want us to look at three different aspects of the light of the world, the light of Christ, and how we should respond to it, especially in light of how they would have heard it for the first time. So I want to pose this question to us this morning. How should we respond to Jesus being the light of the world? Should we care? Is it something that should even be on our mind? Is this some kind of trivial fact, Brady? I mean... Give me, give me something I can use. Give me something practical. Friend, I want you to know I think this is one of the most practical things we can get is understanding who our Savior is and what He's wanting to do for us every single day. First, here's a thought. We need to welcome the light of His presence and dispel the darkness of sin. The appropriate way for us to respond in seeing this claim of Jesus is to welcome the light of His presence and to dispel the darkness of sin. And by that, we're seeing that when Jesus is talking about light, he's referring in part to his presence being there. Just by him being there, he lights up the darkness. Psalm eighty-nine, fifteen strengthens this. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. To be in the Lord's presence is to be in the light. And when Jesus makes this statement that I am the light of the world, he is saying that for you to be in my presence is to be in the very presence of God the Father. You see, to be light was a divine claim. The psalmist says that God wraps himself in light. Paul tells Timothy that God lives in an unapproachable light. James calls God the Father of lights. John says God is light. In him there is no darkness. So Jesus claiming, I am, connecting himself with the Father... The light of the world, he's being very clear. He's saying, I am the very Son of God. And when they would have heard this, it would have been language that they they would have been somewhat familiar with, but it was very, very clear. I am the Son of God. Now, when people are confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ about who he is, they respond in one of two ways. And we're going to respond in one of two ways today as well. They, They either respond, one, hearing the truth of who Jesus is, They are seeking that truth. Now, they may have questions. There may be things they don't understand, and those questions need to be answered. But they are actually seeking. They want to know the truth. They want to know the answers. And when they hear Jesus' claim, they're drawn to it. They want to know the truth. They don't always understand everything, but they're seeking him. But there's another category that we could fall into. When the claims of Jesus are very clear, like they are today in this text, there are those who are not seeking the truth. They are avoiding the truth. They don't really want to know the truth. They sidestep 
the truth, and they changed the subject. This is what the Pharisees are doing. This is the line that they took, and they sidestepped this. Jesus is telling them who he is, the light of the world, and yet they changed the subject to how many witnesses you have to have for you to be valid. And this is an important point. Now, I don't want to derail us. I want to talk about Jesus being the light of the world, but we need to understand that as we hear this, we are responding today either by seeking the truth or avoiding the truth. This doesn't mean if we're religious or not religious, if we like to read the Bible or don't like to read the Bible, if we go to church every week or if we don't go to church every week. Hey, friends, the Pharisees would put many of us to shame on how much they knew of the Scriptures, how much they spent time in the temple courts, and yet they were avoiding the truth. They did not want the real answer. They wanted to put Jesus in His place. They did not want to listen to the claim that He had on their very life. So as we continue on, we need to recognize John in his Gospel in the first chapter, already predicted this and told us about it, what he would be writing on. John 1.11, he says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, there'd be people who should be accepting Jesus' claims about himself, and they reject him. The rejection comes as avoiding the truth. The Pharisees had these divergent questions. The questions they would ask would be to distract. They didn't really want the answers. Have you ever been around somebody who, who had lots of questions in their faith, but they didn't really want to know the truth? They were avoiding the truth? There's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with taking our honest doubts to the Lord. In fact, that, that's, that's biblical for us to do that. But, but many times, there are people who don't even want to know the answer. They just want to reject or avoid the truth that Jesus is claiming. The light of God is not just a physical manifestation. In the Bible, light also refers to moral significance. It indicates a, a moral presence or the holiness of the Lord. Isaiah ten seventeen. the light of Israel become, will become a fire, the Holy One aflame. See, there's this connection between light and the holiness of the Lord. We see this connection all throughout Scripture, and, and we see that light in Scripture is often described as what is good, and darkness is described as what is evil. That's why in Isaiah 5, 20, it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Watch out for those who twist what is good and what is evil, what is light and what is dark. This is the language that Scripture uses about light. Moral light exposes the darkness of sin and demands a moral response. Psalm 90 verse 8 strengthens this. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now, most of us, when we're confronted with the holiness or the light of God, our natural response is one that's unfortunate. The natural response of man encountered by the holiness of God is to not run to the light, but it's to run from the light of God. In John thirteen nineteen, this is what it says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Man loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, you and I, we're spiritually blind. We're born with this, this bent towards evil. And the enemy blinds us and doesn't allow us to see the truth. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 is talking about. The God, lowercase g, of this age, meaning the enemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. 
See, even though we have this bent towards darkness, God is drawing us to him, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I am the light. Even though you are blinded, I am the light. Now, when we get in darkness, sometimes we can grow accustomed to it. Have you ever been in a dark restaurant, and you walk in, and you just can't see anything? I hate that. I want to be able to see my food. Sometimes I go to a nice restaurant, I don't know, nice restaurant, and make it dark. Maybe you can't see what you're eating, but you're there, and I can, I can barely read the menu. I can pull it up here, I can kind of see it's dark. But, but it doesn't take very long, my eyes will adjust. And the only light is just that candle right there, and I can adjust to the darkness. Pretty soon I quit whining, and you know what, this is pretty nice. It's got a warm atmosphere. It's just as dark as it was before, but I've grown accustomed to the darkness. I've been used to the darkness. I used to go down to my basement in Ohio and I would take a nap down there and turn all the lights off, but yet I would be down there long enough that I could navigate around the basement just because of the red light on the stereo. There was no light really down there, but I had grown so accustomed to the darkness I could navigate around. You see, what this is warning, Jesus is saying, hey, I am the light of the world and light will expel the darkness of sin and it will push it out. When I would walk out of that restaurant that was dark, I would open the doors and it would hurt. It was too bright. Or Carrie would come down to the basement and flip on the light when I was waking up from a nap. I'd say, turn it off, it's too bright. What was so dark that I couldn't stand before, i become so accustomed to it. And Jesus is saying, hey, 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 I am the light of the world. Some of you will seek me, some of you will want to change the subject because it hurts too much because the light of me will dispel the sin that you're hanging on to. Okay. That's the first of three, and we spent more time on that. We'll spend less time on these others here. But we begin to see that our first response needs to be to welcome the light of his presence. God is dwelling with you. See, the heart of this person says, search me, O God. If there's any wicked way in me, remove it from me. I welcome your light. The second response that is healthy for us is to follow the light of his guidance and dispel the darkness of his ignorance. Our key verse, verse 12 in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now in the wilderness, God not only was present with his people, he led and, and would guide his people. Nehemiah nine twelve. By day you led them as a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the way they were to take. You see, this light was direction for them. Darkness is not only a picture of sin, but darkness can be a picture of our ignorance. So the light dispels the sin. Light also dispels our ignorance, our lack of knowledge, our lack of wisdom. And God brings clarity to us. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Jesus wants to overcome our ignorance. We need wisdom, we need guidance, we need His light. We are to welcome the light of His presence that dispels sin. We are to follow the light of His guidance that dispels our ignorance. And finally this morning, we are to grow in the light of His life that dispels the death around us. John eight twelve again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Bible is likening darkness to sin, to our ignorance, here also to death. Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Without light, there'd be no life. Without the S-U-N, there'd be no life on earth. Without the S-O-N, Christ, the Son of God, there'd be no life anywhere. And, And just as I said earlier, Jesus, his claim to be the light of the world, wrapped in this context, gives us an aha moment. And here it is. I said all this to wrap up with this thought for us today. In this context, right before Jesus makes this claim, here's the real life account that took place. In the morning, the Pharisees brought to Jesus this woman who was an adulterer. She'd been accused of adultery. She was guilty of adultery. They brought her to the temple court, right where Jesus makes this claim in just a little bit. And they say to him, trying to trap him, the law says she should be stoned for her sin. But what do you say, Jesus? As Jesus looked at them and looked at her and looked at them, I believe he quietly said, You who is without sin, why don't you take the rock that's in your hand and be the first one to throw it at her? As the Pharisees heard this, one by one they would drop the rock, recognizing they had been had. They couldn't claim that they were without sin. They couldn't claim that their sin was any less than hers. And and aggravation and frustration, one by one they would slip away. And then here, Jesus, with this woman, he looks to her and says, so where are your accusers now? Right? They, they left. He says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus brought salvation to this woman. He literally saves her life by what he says. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. Go and be freed from the life of sin. He literally sets her free. I want you to think of what this woman would have been feeling. This woman who was face down before her accusers, who was guilty, on the edge of being stoned to death, and Jesus walks up, says these words, saves her life, and then proclaims, that was verse 11, go and sin no more. Then right after it, verse 12, this is the context. He says, I am the light of the world. This wasn't some kind of sterile, isolated, you know, Facebook quote. Jesus was saying it Right there, as this woman was on the edge of death, and he had just saved her from death, he called her to go and sin no more. I think the song that Charlie Hall has written expresses what I think her heart would be singing. Now, obviously, this song was not written then. This is a contemporary song, but I I could just imagine this would be her heart. My dead heart now is beating. My deepest stains now clean. Your breath fills up my lungs. Now I am free. Now I am free. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. From the grave you have risen victoriously. Into marvelous light I am running. Out of darkness, out of shame. By the cross you are the truth. You are the life. You are the way. Friend, I believe what Jesus has for us today is to remind you, if you are face down in your depression, face down in the darkness of despair, Jesus wants to shine his light on you. He wants you to welcome the light of his presence, to acknowledge that he is there, and to welcome it in. It will dispel anything not of him out. He wants you also to follow the light of his guidance, 
to acknowledge that our ignorance gets in the way. It may not be willful disobedience, but our lack of knowledge or our lack of wisdom, His light is to guide and direct us. But He also says, I want you to grow in the light of my life. The context in which we embrace this Jesus being the light of the world is right at our deepest need. Right at when you are the most vulnerable. Right at when you're at the end of yourself. When you are caught, when you are guilty. He says, I am the light of the world. The very presence of the Father. The direction of the Father. The one that gives life where there is death. To come to an end this morning, I want to encourage you, friend, to to welcome Jesus being your light. Pastor Brady, what's the big deal? The big deal is we can be religious. We can walk into this room. We can walk out of this room. We can run our eyes over the words of Scripture, and yet we can still be held in the darkness of willful disobedience of sin. Welcome in the very presence of God. Asaph did this. We saw it last Sunday night in Psalm 73. He was real honest, but when he got in some set-apart time and set-apart space with the Father, he changed his perspective on himself. He said, whoa, I am senseless. I am ignorant. I'm a brute beast before you. I like those words. I can identify with those words. But it wasn't until I was in the sanctuary with you, when I was still in your presence, until I was in the light of you, Jesus, that I saw who I am, and it changed how I view everybody else around me. There's somebody here today that when Jesus asks you the question tomorrow, who do you say that I am? There's new revelation. You can say, you are my light. You are my presence. It's your holiness, Lord, that that expels the sin from me. It's not my own work ethic. It's, It's you, Lord. You and your light, they guide me. It gives me wisdom. It gives me direction. You free me from my dark ignorance, Lord. But there's also... The celebration that the darkness of death of this world around us, He speaks life into us right now. Would you stand with me as we prepare to leave? Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Many who are here who have trusted you with their very life. Lord, may you encourage and bless them today and be reminded that as they see another aspect of you, Jesus, no matter what stage they find themselves in spiritually, where We're in the preschool stage that you are using our childlike faith to bring us hope. Or elementary age doubts. Or Lord, even in our adolescent stages of pushing back on you of embarrassment at times. Lord, would you bring us to a place, just like you did Asaph, where we sit in your presence in the sanctuary. And you take our lack of understanding that's crushing us and bring clarity. Jesus, I lift up my friend today who's here that no doubt they have not trusted you with their life. Lord, would you help them see today could be the day that you could turn on the light for them and give them hope, just like you did that woman who was about to be stoned. Now, Lord, in a room this size, you haven't said this to me specifically, but I just do the math. I know that many people here are responding to this truth about you by seeking your truth. But Lord, by the law of averages, there may be some who is avoiding this truth. Lord, out of love for them, would you bring them to the end of themselves? Friend, if that's you, you'll know right now you just want me to shut up and be done. You're just tired. You want to change the subject. Anything else other than this, friend, 
He loves you so much. He says, hey, hey, just let my light come over you. My presence will be right with you. It will dispel the darkness. My light will not only be my presence, it will guide you. It will show you what to do. My light will give you life. It will help you grow. It gives you the boldness to be obedient. Jesus, it's with that heart. I say, let it be so. Amen and amen. Thank you, church, for your great attention. If you're here today and you'd like to talk more about having Jesus be your Lord and Savior, my wife Carrie and I will be down here. We'd love to talk with you. Uh, This could be the excellent day to find him as your Savior. As you go, the rest of you, would you go and look for Jesus to be your light of your salvation today? God bless you. you